right, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the Quarcast. It's episode number 17 on this Friday, July the 24th. The last Quarcast before real hockey games. Well, sort of. Exhibition games. I'm Owen Newkirk. Back in the right time zone with my co-host, Sean Shapiro. Yes, Sean, it's the first Quarcast since Liverpool have officially raised the EPL trophy, the Premier League trophy, for the first time but it's their 19th top flight trophy, and I'm pretty proud about that. But we'll get to that later. Um, the next time we do a Quarcast, presumably next week, will be mm-hmm. after the exhibition games for, I believe, all 24 NHL teams. Uh, yes, I believe the Stars play in the last day of exhibitions. So we should, we should have a full wrap-up of that, and we'll talk more about that in a bit. But we're going to jump right into as we are now back on the same time zone and the same area. And actually, we have actually seen each other in he person. Owen does exist. He is not, it's not his, uh, his identity hasn't been like claimed by computers. And <laughs> I haven't become some like hyper-intelligent yeah. AI. It's not like he's not like a T one thousand or anything like that. No, but maybe well, he is. I am willing he's a to really learn. effective one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Sean and I saw each other in person. Now we, when we do the quadcast, because of social distancing, we've been doing it from each other's houses, separated. But we've done it via FaceTime. Uh, so we, we've muted FaceTime because we recorded a different way. But we look at each other, so at least there's some semblance of. Uh, not normalcy because ordinarily a car cast is sitting together in the car and we barely look at each other then. We stare out at the road and what we're going to crash into. But uh, but no, it's more of a... It's a lot easier to do a, a, a conversation when you can see the other person. You can wave at them and say, stop it for a second, I have something to interject. Or do what I do and just intervene anyway. But um, Sean, it was nice to be back at the rink in Frisco. The... You had been there for uh, the previous week while I was still in Maine, and you gave us a nice review last week. But this week, I don't have to rely on your first-person take because I was there also. So I thought we'd have more of a conversation than an interview in that regard. But to me, the big buzzword at STARS Training Camp 2.0 Week 2 is scrimmage. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the big thing. It's the the STARS... We talked about it last week, how the Stars didn't have to jump into a scrimmage right away. They didn't have to do where, like, Toronto did a scrimmage series, I think starting on the third day of camp. Um, The Stars, because of the luxury of being in the round robin and not having their season on the line right away in a five-game series, could have worked their way up into scrimmages. And so they were able to spend the first week on teaching, like we talked about last week. And then this week was all about getting the competition going, all about getting everything kind of set and, and, and basically letting the players ramp up for that exhibition game against Nashville and therefore ramp up into the games on uh, the, the August starting on August 3rd when they start the round robin. So a lot of uh, we've seen way more game situations. We've seen uh I think we've seen two 15-minute scrimmage, uh, two 15-minute periods. We've seen three 15-minute periods. We've seen 15 minutes of special teams plus two 20-minute periods. Essentially, past three, four days of camp, every single day has had some sort of competitive scrimmage element, and it's more fun for us to kind of watch, and it's easier for us to kind of get a bit more of a judgment on how things are coming together. And one of my biggest takeaways from this, Owen, on the scrimmage is 
we are seeing some lines are clicking better than others. Mm -hmm. And I think in some ways that should be expected. And in some um, are a little bit more, not surprising, but I guess more of a pleasant surprise that they are clicking as quickly as they are right now. Um, like, for example, and I'm sure... Um, we, we didn't expect the Foxa, the FCC line, the Cogliano, Foxa, Como line to be any different. And they've been as effective as possible. They've actually been better offensively than I think we typically saw during the regular season. And then I've also really liked the, the line that I think that's really stood out to me. And this is a line that I think could be a huge key for the Stars as they go deep into the play, if they go deep in the playoffs, is that line centered by Joe Pavelski with Matias Yanmark and Alexander Radulov. Um, if it makes I, it that far. If it makes it that far, and not, yeah. Not for, and by the way, I say that not for that trio's mm -hmm. uh, fault at all, but they may be broken up because of lack of production by other lines. But I, I like where you're going with this trio. Yeah, this, this trio, I really like what they've done because one of the big things that you look at the Stars needed more as they need more out of Pavelski than they got during the from the regular season. And one of the things Pavelski needs is he needs to play with possession style players. He needs to play. And so the Stars, on the Stars, that means he needs to play with a guy like Radulov, a guy like Yanmark, or a guy like Ben. Um, the Stars really don't have too many possession style forwards. So those are really, you need at least someone like that with Pavelski. And with Yanmark, and particularly the scrimmage we saw yesterday, I thought we saw a perfect example of that. Pavelski scored off the rebound. He also had three or four really good chances in tight where he's able to just be that guy where he doesn't have the puck on his stick a lot, but he gets to the right spaces, and he gets to the right spots, and he knows how to create those chances while Yanmark and Radulov are able to possess the puck. And so I really like that line. I really like, to me, if you're, built, if you're looking at what two combinations, line combinations, do we want to keep from these scrimmages, I say you're keeping the Fox line together, you're keeping that line together, and maybe the other lines we start tweaking a little bit. Well, that's the hard part is that the other lines, the the newest line is the Sagan, Gurionov, and Hintz line, and everybody got very excited early on thinking about the speed potential because, uh, you know, all due respect, but Tyler Sagan is the slowest skater of that trio. Now, that doesn't say that he's not fast. It just means that he's with two just afterburners in both Gurionov and Hintz. And then the other line, you have Jason Dickinson centering Jamie Benn and Corey Perry, which I see as a very good, you know, physical, heavy cycle type line. I don't think they're the fastest line on the, on the team. Uh, so you have sort of a Jekyll and Hyde, which isn't a bad thing. I think it's good to be able to throw different looks at another team uh, as they try to defend you. And they can't just say, well, they're going to do one thing. Um, so I like that variety. But Sean... You brought this up first, and then the more I thought about it after you wrote about it, the more I tended to agree with you is that, uh, that while I like the speed of the Sagan line with Hintz and Gurionov, I'm worried about at what your concern is that Tyler Sagan's strength, his fact that he is a high-volume shooter, in fact, he's usually one of the league leaders in shot attempts on goal every single year, that he may not be utilized to the best of his strength, especially five-on-five. Five. Now, special teams are different, and yep. we'll get into that later in the segment. But as far as five-on-five five goes, you know, who is going to be the one that gets Tyler the puck to shoot? Uh, I mean, it's both Hintz and Gurionov are capable of, of being passers, but you've seen during the course of the regular season this year, that's not the thing they do an abundance of. No, and you look at, to me, kind of the most telling stat about 
Now, points and points and numbers aren't everything, but the most telling thing about Hinson Gurionov, and this is where they are at in their career. I'm not saying they can't become those playmakers in the future or add an element of this, but when you look at the fact that they have combined, they have 13 primary assists this year. Not a lot. Not a lot for two guys that happen to be amongst your leading goal scorers. And on top of that, of those 13 primary assists, seven are to each other, where it's either Denis Gurionov to Rope Hintz or Rope Hintz to Denis Gurionov. So they obviously, they play so well together, and they create well off each other, and, and they are a pair that should probably be together. But the third member of their line, they don't really create for the third member of their line. They don't really create for the defenseman on there. And they need, they need to play with someone who can help them get into transition. Um, which Tyler Sagan can, but in doing so, and that line, let me, to be to be frank, that line in transition with Sagan has been great. When you watch the drills and you watch them go through the neutral zone and getting out of their own end, it's great. But once you get to the offensive end and you get to trying to cycle teams down and trying to create chances in the zone that's not on the rush or even on off-offensive zone face-off situations, you kind of lose Sagan because Hintz and Gurionov aren't going to create and create chances for Sagan. They're not looking for Sagan. They're not looking to pass for Sagan. Gurionov is also a heavy shooter. He wants the puck. Um, Hintz, we were talking about the other day, Hintz is kind of, he, Hintz has all this talent, but we really don't know what type of player he is. Right. He's kind of in that spot where could he become that playmaker? Well, he is that kind of that playmaker on the rush, but he doesn't do any of it in the offensive zone. He can is do he it on the power play as they have him playing yeah. down on the half wall and he moves the puck well. So, yeah. It's like you said, Sean, the potential is all there, but I feel like he's still trying to find himself, not as an NHL player, but particularly what style of NHL. Because he can, I think he's yep. kind of, you know, we use the Ace of Spades joke because of the tattoo on his arm, courtesy of Mike McKenna's yep. nicknaming, but he's actually sort of a jack of all trades. He can do a little bit of everything and all of it very well. But he doesn't tend to lean to one way or the other. Sort of the no. simplest move, if the Stars needed to make a change, would be to flip-flop Dickinson and Sagan, I think. Which would then put Sagan with Jamie Benn and Corey Perry. And Jason Dickinson might be a good defensive complementary piece to the two speedy wingers no. in Gurionov and Hintz. Uh, the, the move there, though, is, Sean, is it moves... It would move Hint back to wing and instead of center, trying to figure out which is his better spot. And that's the other thing that you asked Rick Bonus about that line, the Ben, the Sagan Gurionov and Hint's line, and he said they do have a plan B in their heads that they'll go to if they need to, but they're going to try to stick this out for a little bit longer. Yeah, I think we see this combo at least through the exhibition game and the first round Robin game. Honestly, mm-hmm. I think it's one of those where he's allowing this time to go through. The question becomes is if you go through the exhibition game against Nashville and you go against the go through the first round robin game against Vegas and that trio really isn't doing much of anything and you're losing Tyler Sagan game 3 against Colorado or game 2 technically of the round robin that becomes the game where maybe we see these these, these plan B uh, trios that he's got lined up. Now, the other thing that stands out to me besides those is the fact that some of the I, I don't want to call out the veterans here, Sean, exactly. What I'm saying is I think veteran players, and we see this in training camp and exhibitions every year, know that they have a little bit more clout. And I'm not saying they're dogging it. I'm just saying that they tend to more tactly or tactfully sort of build up their intensity by the time they hit, you know, as they go until they get to the games that matter. A lot of them tend not to uh, throw everything they can 
at the wall in day one of camp. But I do have to say that the trio from the one of the scrimmages from the white team of Dowling, Robertson, and Lesperance. Now, they've been rotating Rhett Gardner on there, and he's been fine yeah. too, but Lesperance, Dowling, and Robertson in particular have been a very good line for that group, that team. Yeah. And they've really stood out. And then Ty Delandria individually. I like Kiviranta Camano, but Delandria specifically has really looked good to me. And yet, as you pointed this out yesterday during the interview with Rick Bonus, none of those guys are going to supplant the top 12 right now. Correct. Actually, there's a fascinating thing that just came out right now while we're talking about top 12 and you talk about just, I don't know, I don't know if we were breaking news thing, but just fascinating thing that we just got notification about. For the exhibition game, we're talking about the top 12. For the exhibition game, NHL teams will be allowed to dress 13 forwards and 7 defensemen. Interesting. This is something that just, so they're not, no one is supplanting the top 12, but this is just, as we're talking about roster construction, something that literally just popped up on my phone 30 seconds ago. That's uh, that's quite interesting because that would seem to suggest the debate of, do you dress your top 22, Right. With yeah. your goalies and your and your skaters, your thirteen and seven, or do you give a Thomas Harley or a Ty Delandria another look just to see in an exhibition game? Because frankly, Sean, the thing that Bone said that I thought was really interesting is unlike training camp, he said they're getting ready to try to win a, a playoff series. So yeah. these they're trying to get their top group ready to go more so than it is fighting for roster spots. Correct. And so when you would you look at this 13-7, I think this means Justin Dowling and Taylor Fadoon are going to play against Nashville because those are the first men up, and you want you don't want Justin Dowling or Taylor. You don't want Taylor Fadoon last played an NHL game on January 15th, I think. Like I'd, they like were I'd, right before the pause. Uh, Bones was talking about trying to get Fadoon back in. Yeah, and they even sent him on a conditioning stint just to play some AHL games. But he had mentioned we got to get him in soon. But you don't want Taylor Fadoon's first NHL action. Obviously, there's a long break for everyone, but you don't want someone's first NHL action, game action, in the playoffs to come after when a last real NHL game was in January. So I actually like this a lot yes. from how you're able to get Dallin in, you'll be able to get Fadoon in. Um, I think it's a good setup. I know people would say, oh, why will not play Harley or Delangio? They're not going to play because this isn't a regular preseason. This no. is about having your roster ready. The other thing about this that people need to remember is, and this is something Rick Bonus has been loyal to, and I don't blame him for this, the 23 players that got him there, those are the guys that get the first crack. Those right. are the guys that are going to get the he, chance. He actually said as much, I think yeah. it was yesterday, saying they've, he said they've earned the chance to, to play. Yeah, and, and it's, while yes, I know there are some fresh wounds in people's minds that have been picked at and the scabs have been picked away because of... Um, because how the season ended with a six, the regular season ended with a six-game losing streak. This was a good. This is a good hockey team. That's something that people keep forgetting. This is a good hockey team. Yes, the ending wasn't great. The beginning of the season was great, but in between, that group of twenty-three was 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 one of the NHL's best teams. Mm-hmm. And so they're gonna get the chance. They're gonna get a chance to to go with this. And um, I think. I do think some of the guys from kind of that taxi squad area will make an appearance because I think of how this, I do think there's going to be some attrition as far as how tight the schedule is and, and things like that. But all things stay healthy, as healthy as possible. You're looking at kind of the, the top group of 12 and that top group of six, not really changing. So 
it looks, and we had this conversation. Let, let's go to one last thing before we move out yep. of this week because we have one more practice for the Stars tomorrow. It's a, probably a combination practice scrimmage. They've worked on special teams. That looked a little bit better yesterday as far as getting goals. Um, they have a day off today, which is Friday. So they'll practice Saturday. Then Sunday they fly out to the bubble in Edmonton. And so just as we sort of close this up, Sean, is that we talked about forwards and, and defense a little. We could obviously do much more of it. From a goaltending perspective, the biggest news is twofold. One is that Ben Bishop had a maintenance day yesterday. Uh, but that's important that they were able to actually say it was a maintenance day because it would have been a lot more concerning if it was an unfit to perform or to participate designation, which it wasn't. And then the other thing is just simply who got to play yesterday because Bishop had the day off, Hudobin played one period, and then it was Colton Point and Landon Bow, not in that order, splitting the other period for White. But Jake Ottinger played the entire two-period scrimmage for the green team, filling in for Bishop. And it seems to tab who's number three right now on their minds. Yeah, it, it definitely says that uh, Jake Ottinger is number three, and maybe Jake Ottinger is the only goalie going to Alberta. We'll get those final. We should get those final cuts either today or tomorrow. I know NHL teams that had to send their lists, had to send their final list teams, um, had to send their final list to the league today. Um, I don't know if they've done that yet or not. I believe it's one of those you have until like four o'clock here, five o'clock sure. Eastern time. Um, but Ottinger. Is looks like Ottinger is number three, and it sets up kind of that interesting final. It doesn't really impact as much who's going to be on the ice, but do the Stars go four goalies? Do they go three goalies? And who gets cut in the end of 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 kind of that that bottom of the roster? We know Colton points getting cut. We know um, we if if they if if Landon Bow is also cut and they take three goalies, then you pretty much have to cut one forward and one defenseman. And we were talking about this the other day before we left the rink where it's one of those where it's probably maybe a Rhett Gardner and a Gavin Beirut they're getting cut just based off of role. And like, I mean, I don't know if you heard, I don't know if you were on the Zoom call when I asked Rick Bonus about this either yes, yesterday I was. or two days ago. I think where, it was yesterday. Yeah. Days have kind of run together. But the point <laughs> You're being, telling me. The point being is Justin Dowling is 13 on the depth chart. After that, it's not really an ordered depth chart. It's a role depth chart where a guy like Jason Robertson, Jason Robertson comes into this lineup if Corey Perry or Alexander Radulov are unavailable. Right, if you He's needed top, somebody to play a skill role. Top six guy who doesn't kill penalties. Right. If Matthias Yanmark comes out of the lineup, middle six guy who kills penalties. Maybe Nick Camano comes in on that spot, or or Joel Kiviranta. Or maybe um, even Delandria, but maybe or, or, Kiviranta or, first. Yeah, or, 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 yeah, he did. When we asked about Delandria the other day, he was very leary about trusting a teenager in who his first... Who hasn't played NHL games. Yeah, so, right. so I'm thinking it would probably be Kiviranta. And so you're looking at kind of role in what fits and that may be ultimately the reason Gavin Bayreuther is cut in the end because not because Dylan Hetherington has outplayed him but if Gavin, anything Bayreuther's looked quite good to me he has looked good but Bayreuther is plays the same role as Fadoon plays the same role as Hanley um, the tie goes to Harley as the prospect because you want Harley there for the experience yep. and Hetherington with Roman Pollock gone if you're getting pushed around by a team He's probably he fits that bigger defense defenseman mold that this is the kind of piece to bring. So it's you're gonna have It's a tough decision. 
It is a tough decision. But and it's it also, is... Sean, it's a tough decision. We, we spoke about this on previous episodes of whether or not you might consider taking four goalies yep. because of the fact that you might want to have that extra goalie in practice. Maybe not. Maybe Hudobin, if he's not starting, wants all the extra work. But if you wanted to have two goalies with your taxi squad, mm-hmm. then it would be beneficial. But if you do that, then you have to cut another player. Yeah. And it could be two forwards and a D, or it could be one forward and two D. I don't think it's going to be an extra defenseman because Jim Nill has always had that mantra of you can never have too many. Yeah, you can. Uh, Jim believes in having extra defensemen, and I think – if anything, you'll see more forwards cut than defense. I, I agree. Think that's the fair. Yep. Um, okay, so let's pause for just a minute just so that we can give ourselves a natural segment break. <laughs> and up next, we are going to look ahead at what the next week or so should look like for the Dallas Stars as they get ready to go into the bubble. This week's episode of the Quarcast, Sean, we just spent a whole bunch of time breaking down what we saw this week. Now we want to look ahead to what we anticipate for the coming week, which includes the Stars' first real game action, albeit an exhibition, but it will be the first time with referees and with a different team. And yep. it's something that I asked Bones and several of the players during our video Zoom interviews earlier this week. The first day I was at Frisco's training camp was Monday. And it was a very, or sorry, not Monday. It was, Monday was off. So it was Tuesday. Yep. See, like I said, I don't know what day it is either. So it was Tuesday. And Tuesday was a real drill day followed by some situation stuff. It was very gentle. Uh, but we did see some scrimmaging and stuff. Wednesday, we had the intra-squad game, and it started to pick up a little bit the intensity. But I noticed Tuesday, it was very much nobody's hitting anybody. And so I asked Bones about it. I asked a couple players. And the players all said that, you know, they need to ramp it up as they get ready to play. But Bones was talking and made a point to say that we don't want anybody to take a run at anybody. So we're not trying to knock anybody's heads off. But it did feel, Sean, as though the physical play was higher as the, the week progressed. And in fact, yesterday, which would have been Thursday, there was a point where Roddick Fox and Esselin Dell were as close to a practice 
slash scrimmage game altercation as I've seen in many, many years. Now, it used to be something that you'd see guys literally fighting for jobs back in the day. Yeah. That's been a while since we've seen that. But uh, I think the intensity is slowly starting to rise. But the big difference is there will be real hitting when the Stars play the Predators in Edmonton compared to the scrimmage stuff we've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, the scrimmages here obviously can only prepare you for so much. Um, one of the things that it does prepare you for that I think well, this was interesting, I actually, I actually spoke to Taylor Fadoon today. One of the things that he brought up that was interesting was he said he did think these scrimmages and getting up in the game jerseys, it was a reminder of how weird it's going to be without sound. He said, he said it was something where you take a look at how people, how it sounds, having these conversations – how it's going to be, there's going to be no crowd reaction at all when right. we're in there. Um, the other thing that I heard, and this wasn't from a Stars player, this was from, I think, I can't remember whom, but it was a Vegas player. I was listening to an interview from there the other day. They mentioned how one of the things out of the bubble, that one they'll see maybe without fans is, are, team, are players going to be have to be better about masking their face-off communication? which was an interesting thought I hadn't thought about, where he said, where the player said, essentially, you can, you obviously already mask it a little bit with say, hey, I'm going to go here and everything like that. But it's one of those things where you don't have to be so hush because of this, the peripheral noise around. Without anyone else in the building, um, it could be something where teams have to get more creative on yeah. discussing, hey, we're going to do this off the draw, more and more of the baseball hide your face in your glove while you're, while you're talking type thing. Well, Sean, you and I have played uh, a bevy of beer league, and mm-hmm. so we know just what it's like to play games without fans. We yes. don't know what it's like to play without fans with the pressure of the Stanley Cup on the line, although we've played with many guys that seem to think that it is indeed on the line. Or games without fans and strategy, because that's something that tends to be <laughs> absent in beer league too. Um. But, but there will be instances as a beer league centerman I will typically, you know, talk to one of my defensemen of where I'm going to try to win the faceoff, or I'll tell one of my wingers if I'm going to try to go forward instead of backwards. You yeah. can't be too blatant about it in those circumstances because the other team will hear. So you have to kind of go over and, and kind of whisper like, hey, I'm going to go through his legs, or hey, we're going to go over here. You have to be a little – you can't just yell it. Where I would imagine, having never played in an NHL game and nothing even close to it, I would imagine that the normal ambient noise or the music playing, it's hard for that to carry to the other team. So they have to be a little careful yeah. about that. But just as far as, as how you see it, how do you see the ramp up for the Stars from tomorrow's last uh, practice, which I believe will probably have some scrimmage element, mm-hmm. um, and then through the travel, they have to get acclimated to, to Edmonton. It's not, only, not a big deal. It's a one-hour time change. But still, you have to get settled in. And then there will be a couple of practice days leading up to the the game against the Preds. And also the fact that the, the first couple of round-robin games are, are relatively early. 5.30 starts local time, which I believe is 4.30 in, in Edmonton. In Edmonton. Yeah. So 4.30 games don't typically lead to morning skates. And Bones has been pretty sensitive about using up energy in the morning on early starts. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I would imagine they'll be practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We don't have a schedule yet. Um, Wednesday will be like a morning skate for a two o'clock start on an exhibition game on Thursday, two o'clock locally, three o'clock here. Um, I think the other thing that the good thing, one of the great things that a playing 
I, I honestly think the round robin teams benefit more from the scrimmages than the than the uh, teams playing the qualifying games do. Because You're talking about the exhibition games. Exhibition yes, games. Yes, okay. I think they benefit more because I think Dallas gets a Nashville team. Nashville will have to raise its level to be ready for game one against Arizona. Bones actually pointed that out the other yep. day when we talked to him, and I thought that was very interesting. He said that that exhibition game won't be like a typical NHL preseason game because of what's at stake for the Preds. The next game for Nashville following that exhibition is game one of a qualifying round battle, yep. whereas the Stars have three more games to sort things out before it really matters. Yeah, so I, I think you'll see some high intensity in that. You'll see some um, tenacity in it. And there's also... And they don't like each other. They don't They don't like <laughs> each other. And that's how all of these exhibition games have been set up. Not that they all don't like each other, but they all are set up with a more regional matchup as possible. Like, you see, um, you've got uh, Toronto and Montreal playing their exhibition game. You've got the two Florida teams playing their exhibition game. Like So I, th- you've, I think it's all set up to at least try and create a little bit more of that intensity to, to bring it up. Um, and I think that's a good thing. Um one of the things that will be fascinating to watch, and this is just from, is how I'm fascinated to see how goalies are handled um, on both sides in that game. Because the Stars have said they're going to use both goalies. I do laugh at the fact where um, when we did talk to Jeff Reese on the video call and we asked him about it and he said, oh, I don't know, that'll be a coaching staff decision <laughs> when when Rick, when Rick Bonus, know. we all know Rick Bonus lets Jeff Reese make makes the goalie decisions. Uh I'm, I'm going to be interested to see, do for the exhibition, is it something where you go, <coughs> sorry, do you treat them half and half and give them both, or do you just start kind of a rotation, say, you know what, Ben Bishop is going to play two, Anton Hudobin's going to play two, so maybe maybe Hudobin plays that whole game, or Bishop plays that whole game. Dallas has that on luxury. the strategy of the round robin, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Dallas has that luxury. Nashville has a goalie competition going on, and they've got to figure out who's going to start game one against Arizona. Boy, I know who the choice would be if it was at, at the time of the pause in March. Oh, definitely it would have been would not UC have been Sar- Pecorine. Yeah, it would have been UC Saros. And Saros, according to texting with Adam Vinian the other day in Nashville, Adam said Saros has looked like the better goalie in this camp so my far. My guess and right so, now, my gut, Sean, says he starts. That's what my gut says, too. And I wonder, though, if you see kind of... If you see Saros get two periods and Rene gets the third against Dallas, because I think it's one of those things where you're going to want to get both of your goalies, if you're a team playing in the qualification round, into that game if there's a competition. Now, a team like Montreal is giving Carey Price the whole game. We know that because they are going to live and die with Carey Price. But Nashville, you may see two goalies in that game. How about from your standpoint? You're a goalie. We've talked about this at length that it's a lot harder to come off the bench cold in the middle of a period than mm-hmm. it is to come out for the start of a period because that's something that you do every game. You come out yep. and start the period fresh. Yes. Um, even if, let's say, for the sake of argument, you're going to start Bishop in the game against Nashville and Hudobin's going to play the second half. Yeah. It seems as though teams have become... It used to be at the 10-minute mark, next stoppage, in he goes. Yeah. There are a lot more sensitive to it being tougher on goalies to come in mid-period when they're not stretched out, not warmed up yeah. in the same way. Now, does it make any difference if Hudobin knew 
Hey, go stretch in the hallway for about five minutes. We're going to send you in his, at, at the next stoppage. Or is it more of a, he'll get two, uh, Bishop will get two, Hudobin will get one. Is that a better approach with your goalie, especially when you have more games to work it through? Um, I actually, honestly, I think for Dallas's approach, I think it makes more sense to have Ben Bishop play the whole game. Right. Because we saw Ben Bishop. I think Ben Bishop is taking a little bit longer to get up to speed right now, uh, just based off camp. I think Hudobin is kind of where Hudobin is already. Um, so I think getting Bishop that full game, to me, is more important. Um, and having him have him go through a full game is more important than kind of splitting it. That's how I would approach it. Um, I could see either way. If you wanted to split it, I would go 2-1, just because right. I think you still want to get Bishop going in in that regard. But um, I, I think... Overall, my gut would say play Bishop. I actually, I, w- I would say, because we know Ben Bishop is going to be the goalie for round one of the playoffs. I think what you do is I think you play him against Nashville. Is there any chance that they dress Jake Ottinger as the backup in that one? And, um, and if Bishop decided he didn't want to play the full game, maybe he only wants to play half and they send Ottinger in because they don't I, want to send Hudobin in the middle of that. I do not see that happen. Okay. I don't. I don't see Jake. Ot- I, I could see Jake Ottinger backing up if you had one of the veteran goalies said, "Hey, I don't want to right. back up." But I don't see Jake Ottinger coming into a game if you're you're going to get the guys who are actually going to play play. And if if Jake Ottinger has to play in this playoffs, it's if if he makes an appearance, it's only because you've had two injuries. That's really my view on this. Understood. So you look ahead to the week. They'll fly to Edmonton on Sunday, which is the 26th. And then, as you mentioned, they'll have three days of ice time. I don't know if they'll get ice on Sunday or if it's more of a move-in day. I'm guessing that's probably the case, but you never know. I think the first ice session is Monday, Okay, my so that still gives them three days, knowing that they will then play on the following Thursday, the 30th. And then their first real game, if you want to call it that, the qualifying round, isn't until August 3rd which is the following Monday. So that means they have another three days to come off of the exhibition game, rest a guy if they feel little bumps and bruises and soreness from the intensity, which I'm sure the intensity of the exhibition game will be higher than any intra-squad battle they've had so far or will have. 100%. And so there may be some things that older guys might feel that just because they haven't done it in months. That gives them plenty of time to get ready for that first game against Vegas. It does. It does. And they should, I mean, they've been preparing for Vegas and Colorado and from a scouting standpoint, they've been doing this for months. So um, it's, it's going to be an interesting, I mean, I'm not going to get too much into those other teams right now. Cause we'll have, we'll, 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 pre- we'll preview those next week. We'll get into those next yes. week. So let's I'll cut myself off on that right now. Um, this is, I think this week is more about using that Nashville game to speed up. And then also just getting acclimated to what the bubble means, because there's uh as, as much as they are going to live in hotels and be treated rather well in these bubbles, there's going to be an adjustment to what life is like in there. And I think it, it may even just be good for the coaching staff to give the players, and this is just a personal opinion here, it may be a good idea to give the players an off day there on, on say, Tuesday or Wednesday in there because I want my players to, if I was coaching and this is just a theory, I want my players figuring out how to spend their time in the bubble now. Yes. I want them figuring it out now as opposed to giving them their first off day before or in the middle of a playoff run or where they 
I, I want whether if if if, a play, if for one player it's like okay well I found out the bubble has uh, has I can I can go play I can go for a run and I can play cards in the bubble on this day okay that's something I want I, I I almost think it's important to have a bubble day for lack of a better word where it's well I'll tell you, you one know, thing yeah. I would not be surprised at all if they gave them Friday the thirty first as a day off after the exhibition game. I would yeah that wouldn't surprise me at all. That would make sense. But even before that, as you said, could it be that? So, uh, again, we'll talk much more about life in the bubble once we hear more about it. We've heard a lot about what we expect to see, but Sean and I sort of felt like, given the fact that we're going to do a three-segment show instead of a four-segment show this week due to some time constraints, that we instead of talking about the preview of what we've heard, we'll do more of that after we start to talk to players about what they're experiencing. The one thing I did want to bring up before we end this segment, Sean, was... Interesting reporting coming out from various players around the league that the NHL and Steve Mayer does an incredible job with logistics, uh, whether it be the Winter Classic or these or whatever. They initially were setting up situations with this sort of Olympic Village where players can commingle. Now, yeah. in typical Olympic years, athletes from all sorts of countries socialize, especially yes. from you know, di- not just different countries, but different sports. And that's also fun because you can get uh, interact with, with other athletes from around the world that aren't even necessarily in your same sport or field of, of skill. Mm-hmm. The NHL players have are going to be all in the same two hotels or so in each hub, which means that there'll be five, four or five or six teams in each that you could get interact with and they know a lot of them from off-season workouts or playing his kids or just playing against each other and yet i've seen a fair amount of reporting in the last 24 hours that suggests that players are not that interested in commingling because they are serious about we're here to, to win the stanley cup not hang out and so they don't want that as much as you might have anticipated and i think that also ties in quite nicely with what we've seen about COVID testing and how serious these players have been trying to avoid spreading the virus within the training camp groups. Yeah, well, and it's going to be interesting to see how that ethos goes throughout. Yes. Um, because I think some of those things are good. Like some of those are, some of those approaches are fair. Like uh, if you're playing a team in a playoff series, in an individual playoff series, maybe you don't hang out. But on the flip side, I don't see the issue if Alex, if say, um, let's let's go with if if Patrick Line and Rope Hints, they're friends. If Patrick Line and Rope Hints want to get a meal together, oh, of course not. I have no issue with that. Like it, it's, I don't, I don't, I think there's. But they a probably certain... won't do it if it happens that the Stars ended up playing the Jets. Exactly. Right. And, that, and, and that's fine. And I think there's. And you know what, Sean? Even if they did, I personally wouldn't care at all. Because I yeah. understand that people can compartmentalize business from personal, but mm-hmm. I know that a lot of times they look at that optic as being, oh, we don't do that in a series. One of the funnier things that I saw that's just going to be fascinating, because I know it's such a big thing for the stars, and it's something they've talked so much about, is they've talked about golf. This is a huge... <laughs> a lot this, of golf. This is a huge thing for the stars. They golf a ton. It's a big team bonding activity. Um, and I the saw, weather's going to be amazing in Edmonton. Yeah, and they're going to set up a bubble, a bubble set up for the for the players. I know some players are planning on bringing clubs. Some players are they're going to have like rents rentals available. Um, I know it was interesting. I saw I'm drawing I've drawn a blank on his name. Unfortunately, the Bruins writer said the are Bruins. You about for Fluto? Ins- 
No, different, no, different writer well, yeah, for the Boston There's five of them, so. For, for the Boston Globe, but he tweeted about how the Bruins players in the past said, you don't golf during a playoff run. Really? And the you don't golf during a playoff run, it's bad form, it's something you don't do. Tell that to Michael Jordan. And, <laughs> and it, it was just interesting to me to see of how some teams' ethos and, for lack of a better word, hockey code will be will alter or stay the same when you're in kind of this bubble as time evolves. Because it's easy to say, hey, we're not going to golf when you're going home to your family or you're living in comforts of home. But when you're going back to your hotel room and you've been there for eight days and it's an off day and you're looking at the clock and it's 9 a.m. and you have nothing to do. you got to do something. Nine holes sound, 18 holes sounds pretty good at that point. Well, like, it not only kills yeah. the day, but it also mentally helps yeah. free your mind, get outside, get some fresh air, don't sit in the hotel, because you don't want to be in the cube all day. So it's... it's Granted, it's one of those, really, yeah. really nice cubes. It is it is nice cubes, but it, it is one of those where that's that's something that I think is going to be important to remember and to see how this evolves. Like, I've been thinking from a media perspective, one thing that's going to be interesting is right now we have... In a typical playoff year, you have many players go into playoff mode. For example, Tyler Sagan goes into playoff mode. He sure does. He does not. During the regular season, Tyler is very accommodating. We'll have some good conversations with us. In the playoffs, Tyler does not like to do, does not like to have long conversations about things. He goes into playoff mode. He'll do the obligatory interviews talking about games yep. and stuff, but he, you know, uh, I actually have an example of that. A yep. couple of, you know, well, I guess it would have been last year when the Stars were playing the Predators, right? And P.K. Subban was still on Nashville. I remember wanting to say, because he knows P.K. from stuff outside of hockey as well. Yeah. And I just wanted to ask him something about P.K. because he's such a personality and he talks a lot on the ice. And yeah. I think he's a really fascinating individual. I like him a lot. Yeah. Uh, Subban, that is. But I wanted to ask him what it's like to play against a player who is that um, effervescent for lack of a better word. Yeah. That's a pretty good word, I think. But It is a good word. Um, thank you. Word of the day. Word yeah. of the day. So, uh, and, and, and he said no. And I said, I'm sorry? He said, I, I don't want to talk about anything. And then he gave me, and then he laughed and gave me this very robotic, you know, he's a great player. I'm like, it had nothing to do with what yeah. I asked. He did not want to give out anything that might be used as bulletin board material. And that's not what I was getting to. It was just, hey, it was just me asking him one-on-one, -on -one, this quick thing. And he just said, you know what? It's playoffs. That's not what I'm doing. And it's not even just bulletin board material. For, I'll give you an example. Um, ben Bishop is one of the guys I really enjoy talking to throughout the season. and Because he's not, so thoughtful. He's so thoughtful. And he's still thoughtful during the playoffs. But for an example, last year I did this story about Ben Bishop and, the, and playing the St. Louis Blues and everything like that. If I ask Ben Bishop for help with something during a regular season or an offseason, he's typically pretty helpful of saying, hey – Here's a person you could talk to or something like that. I did this story talking to his parents last year during the playoffs, and I asked Ben I asked Ben to do that, and he said, if you can get a hold of him, you can. But <laughs> once we go into – he said, if you get a hold of him, we can do it. But once we go into the playoffs, like once he's in the playoff mode, it's like, hey, I'm not here to help you do your job. I'm focusing on my job. And not that – Right. And it's, and it's, it and wasn't and it, him it, being rude. It's just, look, I'm, I'm ratcheting up my focus and seriousness. And so this focus and seriousness, I think in this in the bubble, for some guys, I think it'll become more hyper-focused. I think for some guys, it'll be, some guys might just enjoy being able to actually talk to, I'm, I'm hoping, fingers crossed. I hope so too. Do you and, think that that could, 
lead to because all our Zoom interviews so far that I've been a part of have been yeah. very friendly, yeah. right? There there haven't been a lot of really yeah. you know to the bone type hard questions. You've had a couple little things that you've asked Bones that I thought was interesting, but nothing like, hey, what were you doing that cost you the game here? Yeah. Do you think that because you won't be faced, we, not you, all of us won't be face yeah. to face, that there'll be, and you can't feel the vibe, you can't read the room, that it will be a lot harder to get the kind of answers that you're looking for because it is so sort of sterilized? It's going to be very interesting to see what happens as... The thing that's going to be interesting to see what happens is to see what happens once we get to the Zoom calls where it's not just the Dallas media on it. That's the one that right. I think that's will be what fa- I'm getting at. That, that tone will be fascinating to me because right now where if I have a conversation with Tyler Sagan or you have a conversation with Tyler Sagan, he, we, have a, we already have a pre-relationship in person where you can read off the vibe of a conversation. And he knows can, us a little bit. Yes. And now... I don't know the vibe of every other like there are some other some other some other NHL locker rooms like so like wait, for example when we played in New, when the Stars played when when we were in New Jersey and the Stars played in New Jersey I go into that locker room and I connect with Connor Carrick and Blake and uh, Blake Coleman at the time I'm able to connect with both of them because I have a relationship and I know they're right there's other guys in the New Jersey locker room that I don't know and I don't know their vibe on this and, and how they like to interact with the media so it's going to be interesting once we get into this whole bubble where yes. Maybe Tyler Sagan is going to be more open with us in the Zoom, but you're also going to have all these other people who can just jump onto the Zoom call, and it's going to be interesting to see how kind of all of that takes shape. Uh, one other thing on media, and I'll, I'll just want to touch on this before we close this segment. So some people may have seen on Twitter, I, I put something out there today about NHL.com, because one of the things that has recently developed is NHL.com will have three reporters three reporters slash writers in each of the hubs. And those are the only reporters and writers allowed into the hubs. The Professional Hockey Writers Association, I'm the Dallas chapter chair, actually. We we asked about, okay, can the independent media then have three spots in each hub? Just three spots. We're not asking for full at for not asking for everyone to get in but just three spots if you're going to let the league the, the state run media in and the league said no to that. And I think one of the I like biggest, how you call it the state run media. It's true though. I know. Uh, I know. I'm just to, I'm just enjoying it. To me, one of the biggest things and unfortunate things about this whole development is the story told from one of the most unique times in NHL history and a time that really should be checked by outside individuals a time where you should be able to we should be able to rely on the media to to say hey this is being done correctly or incorrectly or things like that and it's we're just getting the state-run product i wrote for nhl.com before i'm very appreciative of that opportunity but when you work for nhl.com you work for the nhl there are filters you have to go through you can't write about fights you can't use the word concussion um if, if it's something that wouldn't look good for the league, you can't write about it. So I, I think by doing this, the NHL has made a mistake in not allowing independent. And I'm not even saying I want to be in there. For me, it wouldn't make sense to go in the bubble. I, my family situation, I don't want to be away from my wife who's pregnant and a, and a, and a two-year-old for that long. It just doesn't make sense for me. But we should be able to have something like the NBA where the outlets would be willing to to pay for the COVID test too and everything like that. We foot our own bill. People need to remember that. We're not asking the NHL to pay for anything. You're just asking for the space. You so. know, it's interesting, Sean, is that there are a couple of writers around the NHL, a, a few, a handful that I am aware of, 
that have said that they are or are currently quarantining yes. to get into the areas of that, but not obviously they're not going to get any special access by being there. At least that's what the league has said. Do you think that changes at all because they're there? I, I mean, would, I would, will they I let would, them in to watch? They will let them in to watch the games, but they are not allowed to cover practice, which is the biggest. Right. Is another big issue to me. Like, if you're as an outlet going to cover this sport and cover this league, um, and especially in the playoffs, the NHL, you're hurting your own brand by. One of the great things about the playoffs and, and hockey is the alterations and the adjustments by not allowing pe- writers to, to, to cover practice. I know some people have responded to writers saying, oh, boo-hoo, you're whining, who cares, your access. Well, look for, I look forward to the first, I look forward to Monday when all of the people who have their fantasy hockey pools don't see lines tweeted. Just seriously, because you're not going you're to not get going to. You're, yeah. not gonna get, you're, you're not going to. You're not going to get lines, you're not going to get the lo- roster updates. The information you rely so much on that you don't realize comes from access, you're not going to get. Agreed. And, and so that's that's one of those things where I, I get a little heated about it because I get frustrated when people tell me, hey, this is how this you're wrong on this. But I, I even had, I'm not going to throw anyone's name out there, um, but there are there are people, there are NHL.com writers who used to be my coworkers who have reached out to me who said, like, yeah, this is, this is how it is. You right. don't. We we can't. We it still is that way. We are not independent media. We are an arm of marketing, and it's just that's kind of a reality. Of this we're going to do our best, just from my own personal perspective, from the athletic of trying to cover the team and cover everything as best we can without being there. And we we've got some creative ideas, and we're trying to do everything. But there's only so much we can do. So. Um, I'm going to end our segment with that but because it's just something that's important to me, and I think it's important for people to understand why this is something media people talk. We're not whining. I'm not saying that I want to be an Edmonton. I'm not complaining about that. But it's important that it's, people understand that I didn't even have the option to be an Edmonton you know, properly. Sean, the one interesting thing I will add to that is that there are some team employees that are going to do the digital social media aspect that covers. I mean, there, there's one from every team. Yes. Some of them are more on the creative side, like Jeff Totes. He does, you know, photography, video, really good at that. But he's not a reporter per se, and he doesn't write for the website. There are others that are going, and uh, Michael Smith from the Carolina Hurricanes is one that comes to mind, who does a ton of writing and actually posts morning skate updates on the Hurricanes website daily. And I'm just using him as an example because it comes fresh to mind. Would those teams, like Carolina's always been very forthcoming with that on their own website, maybe because Raleigh doesn't have the same number of outlets that cover the team as some other cities? I don't know. Maybe not. I mean, they have some great coverage there. But I just wonder, are we going to get intermittent coverage of playoff teams where you'll get line combinations or morning skate updates from some and not others? And that's really interesting for me to do my job because yep. as a broadcaster, I like to get as much of that as I can during the day so I can do all my prep. And then when it's time for us to start our radio pregame show, we have a good, pretty good idea what's going to happen. Now, things do change on the fly. That's why Bruce and I are so insistent on being you know, in the arena at home games so we can watch uh, warm-ups and make sure that there isn't a scratch that we didn't anticipate. And that happens from time to time. But it will be an adjustment for all of us that we're going to have to deal with that we won't necessarily have all the usual information to do our game preparation the way we're accustomed. And that's, I'm not complaining about it. I'm just simply pointing it out. 
Yeah, no, it, it's fair. It's it's fair. So let's. Uh, we've got questions from people. Let's uh, take it to segment three, right? All right. Up next, it's the lightning round. Here we are for the final segment of this week's episode. That's right, it's the lightning round. Sean, we uh, didn't do a lightning round last week. No, we did. Did we? No, we didn't. No, we, we did didn't. Not. That's right. We, it was, we were driving. It's right. And uh, we do lightning rounds when we're driving together because one of us is in the passenger seat, and it was just easier not to do that. So, back to it. Nice to have it back on. Uh, let's start with one that we had actually... Right after, I think it was the day after we did it, um, from Brian, who wanted to know, does the fact that the Stars consistently practice with two of the top goalies in the league actually hurt their scoring in games by causing them to aim too carefully in games or take shots or not to take shots that might go in against other goalies? I No, it doesn't. No, you practicing against better goalies doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt them as an offense. Um, if anything, it should make them better. Um, the other thing, too, is while as great as Ben Bishop and Antoine Hoban have been, to say NHL goalies, the, the difference is not as great as you think it is. A lot of it, a lot of it comes down to also the star system, too. Like You talk about why Anton Hudobin and Ben Bishop are a big part of the star success, but Anton and Hudobin and Ben Bishop also owe a lot of success to the star system that allows them to... Uh, to have even better numbers. So no, playing against Anton Hudobin or Ben Bishop don't really change how they practice. If anything, practicing against Ben Bishop, just to give Brian an example, Ben Bishop is not a great practice goalie. Um, no. He doesn't... Uh, he's he doesn't, not bad. He's not bad, but it's not like... Ben Bishop doesn't care about every shot in practice. We'll just put it that way. And that's okay. Anton Hudobin does. And if anything, I think it actually pushes guys to, to try and... Pushes guys when they when they practice against Udobin. He's but, so competitive in practice. Yeah, I think it's a really good thing for the I, team. I think it's a good thing. I don't think them having good goalies hurts them. And and it's not like um, you say shoot where other goalies. I mean, you shoot low glove. It's not like you go against play against Nashville. All of a sudden, you're going to shoot low glove and it's easy to score there. That's not that's not the case. All right, let's so. get to the questions that uh, have come in since we made a call for it today. Oh boy, Sean, I don't even want to read our buddy TJ from uh, Austin, who is the worst pun master we've ever met, at least as far as I know. Don't even call him a pun master. That's okay. too much. That's giving him too much credit, isn't it? He's a pun user. Yes. Well, TJ wants to know, who do you think is going to crack the Seattle roster, and who will be the anchor in net for them? Boo, TJ, boo. But you know what, Sean? I will use this opportunity that we haven't mentioned the Seattle Kraken announced their team name and uniforms yeah. and logo, and I audibly cheered watching the video. It was fabulous. I yes. was really excited that it came out. It was yesterday, and they did such an incredible job with the release, 
Um, it's the name I was hoping for. I know you were as well. And on the heels of yet another boring team name announcement in MLS, which was be Charlotte FC, is Ugh. the expansion. Yes. And again, nothing wrong with it, just nothing different. And this just blew it out of the park. Yeah, I, I, I was very happy with this. My wife was watching the announcement with me and said she now is a new favorite hockey team uh, <laughs> based off the name alone. I think it's I think they did a great job. They there's so I love the subtle elements of the logo too. Me Just too. The, the negative space within the S for the tentacle. The I love the secondary logo has the space needle involved. I think they did a great job with it. Um, there's a pretty good story uh, Ryan Clark wrote on The Athletic about how the team kept this all under wraps for so long, which I think is really impressive. Very hard um, to do in these days. Yes. I, I think they did a great job with it. Um, I guess the, the, one, the, the one thing that's just interesting with this team name, and this is something that comes up, some people think it's interesting, some people is not, is it a plural noun or not? It, is it the same as is, like the Miami Heat? Or the, or the Minnesota, Minnesota Wild. Wild. By yes. the way, I don't like that the Wilds and the beat writers that cover the Wild use it as a singular. And that's that's my point, my question. That bothers is, me. I believe is a, it is both a singular and a plural, but when you're writing it, it should be pluralized, not singular. Yes. If we want to get nerdy on grammar. Will the Kraken have or has something? <laughs> yes. Um, and they do it a lot with Minnesota. They call it the wild a singular. Yes. And I don't care for that. Yep. So anyway, but then again, sheep, moose, right? That's yep. both. So you have to figure out how you're going to go there. And I mean, it's well, not do you really, I mean, well, <laughs> we, we, you can see multiple moose. Yes. Like we've never seen multiple kraken, have we? Is there one kraken? That's the well, other first question. First of all, it's kraken, not kraken. Oh, yeah, actually, I have a funny story real quick. Okay. So the reason the reason I'm saying Kraken and, and the way I'm saying so, this goes back to a funny family thing where my um, <laughs> my sister, my, my wife refers to my sister-in-law as a Kraken from the sea because her name is Kristen. Oh, and no. she has done synchronized swimming in the past. And so it was always funny to call her the inappropriate pronunciation of Kraken. So, <laughs> so now are you just completely wired that way? Uh, no, I just, I need to remember now that I actually have to use it in a formal capacity. I need to actually start pronouncing it correctly all the time. So <laughs> I love it. I can't wait to see them in the league. Yeah. Uh, I love their uniforms. It, it really was well done. I can't wait for all of that. Uh, Justin writes in, what will have a bigger impact on the team? Radulov's energy, Ben's physicality, Sagan's scoring. Is it possible to see all three throughout the duration of the playoffs? Also, Owen, stop interrupting Sean. Justin, you've tweeted this over and over again, and it's not going to happen for a couple of reasons, but we won't get into that right now. But what do you think, Sean? Energy from Rads, physicality from Ben, scoring from Sagan. I mean, the second part of the question, is it possible to see all three throughout the duration of the playoffs? In theory, if that happens, you should have a long playoff run for the Stars. Um, I think you're going to see... The first two, I think, are going to be a given right off the bat. I think Radulov 
we've we've seen Radulov's energy in camp. We've seen what he brings. I think he's on a line where he feels important, which is important for Radulov. Um, and I think Ben is going to come into a playoff where he's not doesn't have the wear and tear of an 82 game season and can be physical off the bat. The question really is, can Sagan be a goal scorer? Can he get going right off the bat? Can he get going? And so I think the biggest impact on the team will be whether Sagan can become that goal scorer or not, because I feel like Radulov's energy and Ben's physicality are a given. That's sort of what they do. Yes. The question will be, can Sagan be the goal scorer? And so to me, that is the biggest impact, because we don't know what it's going to look like. I don't think, there's no question Radulov will be energetic. There's no question Ben will be physical. Will Sagan be able to score goals? Oleg writes in, at this point, Pavelski and Spezza are close to the same player. Can you discuss why I am wrong? Because you are wrong. I can give you. I can give you examples too. Um, I agree with this, by the way. Not with him, but with you. Yes, um, there are two different types of players. For one, Spezza is a player who, with his aged has has not aged as well. His style has not aged as well. He needs to be. He's more of a puck carrier. He's more of a possession guy. He's a guy who needed to use more of those those assets that 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 slow down your legs. That slow down. Pavelski. Uh, I look at Pavelski's production this year, and while it was more of a less of a fit and more of a transition, and Pavelski is a player who is is who who finds his fit by being in the right areas, being a bit of that goal poacher. I've been using that reference quite a bit lately. And then the other thing too, we got to bring it back to soccer. Then the other thing too, though, just to to be just from the trade off the bat, Joe Pavelski has and always will be a better defensive forward than Jason Spezza. That is, that, bar none, the biggest difference. Yes. Um, I mean, I remember when they talked about Jason Spezza killing penalties in Toronto, I kind of laughed at the even thought of that. Joe Pavelski can kill penalties. He's not fast, but he at least knows how to play defensive. He's very hockey. positionally sound. Yeah. And that's, look, Spezza has still shown that he can put the puck in the net a few times. He can be very good in a role on the power play, but he is a very different player. Um, Ardell writes in, John Klingberg seems like a player who shows up in big moments. Is he due for an offensive resurgence this postseason? He seems a little bit more curt than usual in interviews. Did the media piss him off in some way? He seems curt? No. I don't, I don't, I I didn't don't notice. Know. I don't know what Ardell... That Ardell's... may also be a, a change in translation of, of going from uh, two different cultures and the way he speaks. I, I, do you think he's more curt than usual in interviews? I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's like, it's, to be to be honest. I mean, the, the whole interview thing on Zoom is a little different. Yeah, to be fair. I mean, I've spoken to Klingberg on the phone, and we were fine in conversation, yes. and I've had, and I've, in, in the Zoom interview, it just seemed like a scrum, and I'll be, to be frank, I haven't really done a scrum with Klingberg in the entire season. I typically, I guess maybe post-game I've done a scrum with him, but in general, it's been, I'm talking to him in a separate one-on-one or more, conversational tone so it's just different um i mean i don't think you can really judge any guy's relationship with the media in this time because we can't see them face to face there's so much um and even by the way in the zoom calls we can see them when they're being interviewed i don't believe they can see us they can't they cannot see us. yeah so they're literally listening to us when we ask the question and then they're just responding and sort of looking around because you know they know they're on camera but they aren't looking. It's like Sean and I are talking and looking at each other yeah. right now. That's not happening on the Zoom calls. Yeah, I mean, about the, the question of big moment player, um, I think Klingberg, I mean, obviously he scored the goal to end Nashville season last year. Um, I thought he was 
he's he's had some good big moments in his career. Uh, is he due for an offensive resurgence? I mean, I can't say anyone's due because I can't really. It, it's so hard to judge. Even if I and I talk to guys, talk to writers covering other camps, no one can really judge this till we see teams actually play each other. Um, it could be this, really look. It's the playoff, Sean. It could be really really low scoring as is yeah. normal anyway. So, I I do think that Klingberg could be in a really good spot on a, a team like this where he doesn't have to shoulder the whole load anymore. But I also think that when he had to shoulder it, after an initial, when, when Goligoski left, after initial struggle because he was the focal point, he really excelled for a while because it was his team and he had that swagger about it. This isn't just the John Klingberg defensive led because you have Haskinens and Johns and all the guys up front. It's just different. Uh, French Toast writes in, guys, it makes me crazy to hear other fans malign the FCC line. Please give your thoughts on that line. What makes each FCC member valuable? Well, first of all, I'm glad she brought it up because the best line in camp thus far has been this group. Part of it's because they've played together the longest. They know each other really well, so they have incredible cohesive chemistry. It's just wonderful to watch them play. Sean, it's also their style of play is the easiest to get up and running because they are a hard work line. It's As, as long as it's your determination and your fitness, you can play like that. Now, the one thing I think that you brought up earlier that stands out is that they have all three, Cagliano, Como, Fox, have all said... We believe we can do more to chip in offensively, and it started to show a little bit. Again, limited in camp, so you're not sure exactly what you're seeing, but it looks that way. They've looked fabulous. And, and I think, just particularly from Como and Cagliano, we've, we've seen more offensively. have seen a little bit more from Foxa, but Como and Cagliano in particular to me have been around the net more. They've been creating more chances. Um, the thing that people... So fans don't malign the... The FCC line becomes, for Stars fandom, the FCC line becomes a punching bag because they want something. They look at Dennis Gurionov and Rope Hintz's minutes, and they look at their usage, and so they therefore decide the FCC line is at fault. Um, and that, to me, I think is, is something where... I, th- I think that's a bit of an issue, because... I, I I agree. The FCC line probably shouldn't be playing. If you're down 2-1 to one late in a game, they probably shouldn't be on the ice. They shouldn't be on the ice. I'll say that. But if they're having minutes and the Stars are winning, they limit the game. Like, they, they, really they lock down the game. It. it is really – it makes the game boring. And I used this line in my column earlier yes, this you week. you did. As much as you don't like when the FCC line plays 20 minutes, if they play 20 minutes, and they don't, they play 16, 17, whatever – you know what? Connor McDavid's going to hate when they play 20 minutes. Leon Dreisaitl's going to hate when they play 20 minutes because they shut teams down so effectively and they turn these 60-minute games into 40-minute games. I think it's more so people who are angry at the FCC line aren't angry at the line. They're angry that the Stars aren't aesthetically pleasing. That's, that's what it is. They're angry that the Stars play boring hockey. It's okay to play boring hockey and win. I would obviously, I, I loved the Lindy Ruff era. I loved watching back and forth running gun hockey, but that's not what this team is. And that's why the FCC line gets kind of, I think it's beaten up on by fans. There is, 
the one of the biggest pet peeves, and I don't even respond to these people anymore. One of the biggest pet peeves I see from people all the time on Twitter is they say, "What does Blake Como or Andrew Cogliano bring to this team?" And that is just coming from a point of not understanding how important that line is hmm. and how important that lineup unlocking matchup is because it, it does so much for this team. Yes, maybe they shouldn't play 18 minutes a night if you're losing three to one. You need to come back, but if you need to shut down a game and you need to limit a game and, and you can, I, I just, I, I get a little bit fed up when it, when people say people take it out so much on this line, when it's not just their, it's not their fault. The stars don't score. They're doing their job. Right. It's, it's, it's Tyler Sagan's line isn't scoring. It's not Radic Fox's fault. If Jamie Ben's not scoring, it's not Blake Como's fault. If Andrew, if, if Alexander Radulov's not scoring, it's not Andrew Cogliano's fault. So, all right, let's move on because we're going to get Sean really upset here. Yeah. Galapagos says, might as well repeat my CarQuest question from last week. Quarcast, not CarQuest. Um, it's, I guess it's time for my submission. With the regular season over, what would be the defining regular season game for the 2019-20 stars? I'm partial to the comeback against Minnesota. Uh, def- I mean, defining game or highlight game? Because highlight's the winter classic. Like, that's the one that, like, when, you, when people think back to the 2019-20 season, that is the game. Is. That, that is the game that will be, hey, everyone remembers this from the 2019-20. To me, the defining game, the, the day that if you needed to encapsulate how crazy bonkers this whole season was, it's the day that coaches changed to 8 a.m. in the morning, and then they had a game that night. That was uh, they... December 10th, 10th December New 10th. Jersey? Yes. Yeah. That, to me, is the game that defines the season. If you wanted one day to go into to define how crazy this season is, that would be that day. Now, the Minnesota game at the end of October was unbelievable, and it really did help save the season because, Sean, down yeah. th- uh, 3 nothing in the second period, we both thought somebody's going to lose their job. Yes. Then they scored six goals, won the game, and it seemed like the tension released just a little bit, and then the team actually started winning a lot of hockey games. So that is one of the defining moments. The Winter Classic, to me, still stands out because it was a shining spectacle from the organization standpoint, the city of Dallas, the NHL. Everything came out the way you would want it to, unless you're a Preds fan because they lost and the Stars won. But it was a... For Dallas, it was a perfect event, and that's very, very hard to do. The weather cooperated. There were 84,000-plus fans, which thankfully two months later they wouldn't have been allowed to have any. Uh, There was just an incredible vibe. All the sideshows came off really well. I mean, when I say perfect event, maybe they should have opened a little more of the midway so it didn't clog the fans so much into certain areas. But, I mean, it really came off well. So I'm going to go with Winter Classic just because – I mean, we'll be talking about that game for years and years and years as Dallas Stars fans and media coverage. Yeah, that actually segues perfect to our next question if you want to jump into that. Jared says, I really enjoy the coverage of the team since camp began, both in print and on video interviews. 17, 16, 30, 35, 15 really stand out to me. This is, uh, of course, talking about player numbers. Kamano, Pavelski, Bishop, Hudobin, and Como. He said, great players for the fans. Question. Tell me about Brad Albert. What is his value to the organization, he typed. Well, and this is why I said this is a great segue. Brad Alberts is the reason the Dallas Stars got the Winter Classic because of Brad Alberts. If you enjoyed the Winter Classic, you should thank Brad Alberts. <laughs> Brad, Brad is the, was the driving force between, behind bringing that here. He was the driving force behind bringing the NHL draft to Dallas. 
Brad Alberts is essentially, and he's been recently got, he recently got the promotion and the title. He is the big, big, big and executive on the financial side that has driven these stars to be a major player off the ice with the NHL. And that is a huge credit to him and something he's done with a team that is still has helped turn a team that is still in some media minds a not not a hockey market to to do that so that's what that's what brad brings to the organization um one of the things also that brad does is it's his job that the the team makes enough money to be able to spend to the salary cap it's not it's not as cut and dry it's 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 not like in in european soccer where you where it's it's the it's as much as the life flow but it still is a big part of you need to be able to make money to spend money and that's that's what alberts does um i don't know if you have anything else to add but i just to me the the perfect example is the winter classic happened there was eighty five thousand six hundred thirty people at a hockey game in dallas texas outdoors on january 1st because brad alberts took this to the nhl yeah i mean i think that that uh, credit goes to him and to others that also did an incredible job with the setup and the execution of this event, both from the Stars and the NHL League office. But I think it's very important to have a cohesively run organization, if you want to type it that way, uh, from both the playing side, the hockey operations, and the business side. Now, they don't have to be overseen by the same person, but they have to be able to mesh because if there's a problem with one, there's a problem with the other. And as Sean mentioned, obviously, if you can't sell the team well, then maybe you don't have the money to fill the team and to spend to the salary cap or, you know, maybe you have some other issues. Well, obviously, the vast majority of an impact of the team comes from the players, coaches, you know, the hockey upside. One doesn't happen without the other. You need to be able to market it. You need to put fans in the stands in normal circumstances. You need to be able to create a league and have the league structure. So it's not just about the players, although they are are by far the biggest piece. And so it's really important to have a president or a CEO or a chairman, depending on what title you're given, to be able to sort of blend those two together and also... Uh, a conduit with your owner unless your owner is there every single day which of course most owners are not so that's why having a good front office is so important because i do believe sean well it's not the biggest aspect the way the front office works the way that the small little things that we all do adds up to a whole when it comes to the club and whether it's soccer hockey baseball football the whole perception is done by how all the little things are done. First class organizations make are, are easier to attract players because, oh, wow, they do everything top notch, right? Whether it's sales and marketing, hockey ops, anywhere in between, the, all those little things I think can play a part and can make the overall experience better. All right, we got two more to go, and then we'll uh, wrap it up for this week. All right, Crawdaddy asked me a question. Owen, during your time with Albany, how did you pass the time on the team bus? Any funny stories? Well, back in Albany, I was with the River Rats from 07 through 09, so two seasons. The biggest story is, of course, we were in a bus crash um, on f- February of 2009. So it was during the second season. Our bus actually overturned and flipped onto its side and crashed into the guardrail on the Massachusetts Turnpike on the way back from a game we were playing against the Lowell Lock Monsters, then the New Jersey Devils AHL affiliate. We were the Carolina Hurricanes affiliate. 
So that was not funny, but it was certainly the most notable occurrence that happened. Uh, but back then, we didn't have Wi-Fi on the bus. I didn't have a mobile hotspot yet. So while I had a smartphone, I didn't do a lot of stuff on my phone, you know, calls and text messages. But you weren't streaming videos then uh, with your phones. So what people were doing was either watching portable DVD players or more often, Sean, we'd see a lot of guys watching a movie still on the bus together or playing cards. So there's a, it's funny, the, the more that technology has seeped into to hockey travel, the less overall group camaraderie we've seen in that. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have good cohesion between players and, and staff and coaches and stuff, but being on the bus back then meant we're all watching one movie and kind of laughing together, sharing the experience, whereas now everybody sort of does their own thing. Now, again... This was I'm talking about the AHL travel on the bus because the NHL travel is extremely different and much more high class and refined. But it's just to pass the time. First of all, a lot of the bus rides were shorter. We didn't fly in Albany because our longest trip was to Norfolk, Virginia. I think it was like eight or nine hours. So read a book, uh, play cards, watch movies. There you go. So, Sean, you travel a lot. How do you pass the time? Uh, on planes, I typically read or sleep. And that's kind of it. <laughs> <laughs> I catch up in my reading. I do some sleeping. Not um, a lot I of Netflix watching? I typically have something uh, queued up because if I don't, then I won't be able to sleep. Like it's one of those kind of like you have to have it. But then I never actually, I have right. so many shows I've never actually watched because I just typically sleep on planes. Um, and then I also do a lot of reading. I typically, whether it's kind of reading up on the, who the stars may be playing, reading some stuff from writers that cover the stars, cover teams the stars are going to play soon or reading a book for, for, for leisure. It's a lot of reading for me. So. Yeah, so it's funny. We always romanticize the, the bus trips in the minors, and there were definitely funny moments all over the place, but also there's a lot of dull time. And I'll never forget, I was in the United Hockey League, and one trip, my head coach at the time, we were going to Roanoke, Virginia, and it was a place that he used to coach in the ECHL. And so he brought his wife with, uh, I don't think it was kids, I think just his wife came along because they were going to go visit some friends from when they lived in, and, co and worked in Roanoke. And I'll never forget, Sean, we were about 30 minutes in and we we're sort of settled into our normal routine on the bus. And she said something out loud of, this is really boring. <laughs> and that was <laughs> right. Like we make it fun because we crack jokes and read books or bring up an Xbox and play it once in a while or play cards. But yeah, it is really boring. And so if you can fast forward it to a movie montage, it looks great. But for the most part, it's just, uh, I mean, it's any, ro any long road trip. There's a lot of dull sort yeah. of time, and then there's these little pockets of fun. All right, last one. Christopher writes in, which black ace has had the best showing at camp thus far? Every time I see or read about Kamano's play, I question why he's not in the lineup. Seems to have more upside than, say, Yanmark. Okay, those are two very different things. Those are two very different points. So um, let's go with the second one first. I, I don't I see Yanmark gets why Yanmark does he get to, bagged on by fans so much because people look here's why people he gets bagged on Yanmark gets bagged because for a Dallas Stars team that can't score they see breakaways and they see missed nets Yanmark is not a goal scorer he is a, it, a quality chance generator and so therefore he becomes a bit of a punching bag because he keeps getting these chances right yet Matthias Yanmark actually this is a Matthias Yanmark is a good example of 
And this is a debate that we probably shouldn't go into, but it's too long of a time. But anyway, <laughs> Matthias Janmark is a good example of the debate I have, I sometimes have with my dad about Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Okay. Okay. Where people talk about Michael Jordan being six and zero in the NBA Finals, and that's great. He went six and zero in the NBA Finals. LeBron James being, th- and they say, oh well, LeBron's three and six. Why does LeBron not get credit for going to the finals nine, nine times when right. Michael Jordan could only make it six times? Matthias Janmark is getting chances other players aren't and is missing, and so we bag on him for doing that. That is what, not we, but that is why he gets bagged on by fans yes. where, where, hey, we're, give, we're, we're, we're looking too much at the he's failing to finish as opposed to, hey, look, he's actually creating chances. He's actually holding possession. Right. He's allowing Alexander Radulov to cheat forward more than any other forward. Matthias Janmark is a good player. Like, I don't... Like, All-around player. He's excellent defensively. Yes. He's very smart. He has incredible hockey sense. He uh, back-checks as well, if not better, than anybody else on the team. And he can p- play possession hockey and forecheck in the offensive zone. Sean, the only problem I have with Janmark is just the fact that a couple of seasons ago, both before and then after his knee problem and, and the year missed, he scored at a much higher percentage rate due to his shot chances and and quality chances generated than he does now. He used to finish, you know, one or four, one out of five of those breakaways, and that made him a 15 to 20 goal scorer. Now he's not doing that. So something has changed, or maybe he just had a real hot streak. If he could put one or two of those in every now and then, people would really jump on board. But that's my only criticism, because he is a very complete player, except for the finishing. Yes. To answer his question about Nick Camano, uh, as far as the Black Aces go, the most impressive guy from the taxi squad that could play is it's been Jason Robertson and, and Ty Delandria to me. Remember, we're um, also saying, and Sean's saying this because Justin Dowling, who's really excelled, is not considered a Black Ace. No, he's a ta- no, he'll, he'll be the next player. Right. In. So uh, I, I would say, and Nick Camano is Nick Camano's not a bad player, but he's just nothing about Nick Camano's game has said to me he's better than other options. He can play, but. He's a, we have uh, a lot of those, right? Yeah. Right now, we've all seen in training camp, Robertson, Lesperance has really looked good at times during scrimmages, Kiviranta, Delandria, Camano, um, Rhett Gardner. All of those guys have something, Sean. None of them are out there going, well, they don't belong out there. None yep. of them, which is a really good thing. I haven't seen any player on the ice of the 30, what is it, 35 yeah. Counting the goalies. I mean, 30 skaters. Yeah. None of them I've said, wow, they don't belong here. They don't deserve to even have a chance. And, and that's why there's the 30 here. I mean, Nick Camano, Joel Esperance, uh, Joel Kiviranta, uh, Rhett Gardner, those guys all fall into the category of, to me, they are, to use an example that you would know well, they are Curtis McKenzie's. They are guys who could play in the NHL, they could not. It's all going to depend on the opportunity and where they are. Jason Robertson, Ty Delandria, they will play in the NHL. Mm-hmm. They are guys who will have lengthy NHL careers because they have they have that extra element in their future where they will be key NHL players going forward. The other guys, they could play. They could become a, like an Andrew Cogliano or a Blake Como or something like that, but they don't have as much of that they don't have that it correct high high skill factor. So that's what a guy like Nick Kamano is. If he, he could play, it's just it all comes down to opportunity. And I use Curtis McKenzie as an example of someone we know who 
if he, he just never got that opportunity in Dallas and then just never was able to break through, where there's other players who are of equal footing who just had the better opportunity here and there. And, right and place, just, right time sometimes. Exactly. Yep. Uh, well, we could go on and on and on, but we have to call it a day today because the next time we do a Quarkash on, we'll have an actual sanctioned NHL contest, an exhibition game to talk about, and all of them, in fact, because there are going to be a dozen of them. Yes. So it should be a lot of fun, and we'll get to that next week. Until then, keep wearing those masks. Oh!